e-commerce is so tricky right now and so much more difficult. And I think now more than ever, people are so thirsty to align themselves with people who are like-minded and that includes brands. And so if you can lead with your values in your marketing, I think that's such an advantage to you because a lot of businesses and brands right now are trying to scramble and kind of like work backwards and come up with values and have their marketing reflect those values now when really everything that you do from marketing to operations to whatever, everything should stem from those values. So if you haven't done that work, it's important to do it now so that you can build a foundation for everything else you're doing. It's Mitzi Mike, and this is the Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios, a show for marketers, creators, and brand builders who are trying to make waves online. We sit down with experts and tastemakers behind today's up-and-coming brands, and today, you're stuck with us. That's right. We have a solo episode where we'll be talking about five things that we're starting in 2022 and five things that we're stopping. In case you're new here, we don't just host a podcast. We also run a digital marketing agency called Arcade Studios, and uh, maybe I'll let you share what we do exactly there. Yeah, well, we can keep it simple. We basically do three things. One is digital strategy, so we really... Uh, dig deep with the brands that we work with to identify who they're trying to reach online and what they're trying to sell and figure out how to connect those two dots. And then the second thing is content production, which is important more now than ever. I feel like people have always been saying content is king, but today in 2022, content truly is king. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third thing is distribution. And that's just a fancy way of saying managing social for brands, um, operating email marketing campaigns and running paid media campaigns. That's right. And digital marketing has changed so much in the last year, two years, six months. So we wanted to just break down some things that we're going to start focusing on for 2022 and some things that we're going to stop doing in 2022. So hopefully it's a value to you guys and uh, let us know what you think. So should we get into it? Let's do it. Okay. We're going to start with things that we're stopping. So number one is relying on advertising for sales. So we have a lot of e-commerce brands and advertising has changed so much and it's so much harder to get a strong return on your investment. And it's also more expensive than ever before. So for example, like three years ago, we would set up targeting on Facebook, come up with some great ad creative, and we would easily see like five to seven times return on ad spend, but that's just not realistic anymore. Those are the golden days. It's true. Miss that time. But yeah, I think a big factor in um, that landscape changing was when Apple decided to change their data privacy um, policies with iOS 14, and then Mm -hmm. it's even changed further with iOS 15, and I'm sure it'll continue to do so. Um, They say it's for data privacy. You always kind of (laughs) wonder if they're going to just try to come out with their own ad platform to compete with Facebook and Instagram and all the other players, but We'll see what happens. But anyways, between that and an oversaturation of brand content on social media, it's just a tougher place to play these mm-hmm. days. So you can still certainly see success on advertising, especially on social media. Um, but you might want to look at emerging platforms and, of course, the other layers of your marketing strategy, which are primarily organic, like social and even more so email, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. I'm excited about that one. Okay, the second thing we're going to stop doing in 2022 is posting single static images on social media. It's just not effective and it's honestly kind of like filler content. Mm. So we've seen that they just don't... I feel personally attacked. (laughs) Yeah, because that's all you post. Yeah, I'm working on it. (laughs) Um, We just feel like on behalf of our clients, it's just not 
performing well. So unless it's like a really great meme or a viral tweet or something like that, this doesn't make sense to post just filler content. So instead, we're trying to post more carousel posts, reels, videos, more movement and stuff that we know is going to make a difference in terms of getting new audiences or getting engagement. Yeah, it's tough because a lot of brands, you know, it's hard it's hard for them to access video footage. Like, for example, mm-hmm. just because of COVID-19, you know, we work with a, a client called UCLA Health. They're one of the top health systems in the U.S. And especially for a health system, you know, where you're in hospitals, mm-hmm. it's hard to go in and get the same original video content that you might have gotten before. Right. Because there's so many policies in place and uh, protective equipment and things like that. So, um, you kind of have to reinvent the way that you're doing content. And sometimes that might mean working with the static asset, but doing something simple to make it a video, like mm-hmm. turning it into a, a GIF or um, adding animation of some kind or something right. like that. But yeah, static imagery is definitely seeing a sharp decrease. And we saw that with UCLA Health and we had to pivot. Yeah, that's right. Now we're creating more engaging, interesting video content with the same content from a static image. So yeah, exactly. win-win there. Okay, the third thing that we're going to stop doing in 2022 is gatekeeping. And we just feel like there's room for everyone in our industry to succeed. And we believe that our industry can only be better by being more transparent and open. So we're really excited about that because you'll be hearing more from us through solo episodes like these, but also through our personal social platforms. Yeah, like I said, I'm working on that. <laughs> um, but this has always been our intention with Waves, to be right. honest. We, we wanted to create a platform where we could share real practical value and just be honest and give it all away for mm-hmm. free. And I, th- I think there's a lot of other uh, people and experts doing that as well, but many are still withholding a lot of the real value and just more so using it as a tactic as part of a funnel or something like that or right. with a, as a means to an end. So totally. um, here's to all the people that are out there just sharing their expertise and their experience mm-hmm. generously so that all of us can succeed because we love to see it. Like Kanye said, next time on I'm on stage, we all go. <laughs> I don't know that line, but I'm into it. It's from a rap song. <laughs> on, easy. I can't think of it. Okay, number four <laughs> is uh, we're going to stop being a one-stop social media shop. And what we mean by that is a few things. But primarily, uh, we're not all things to all people when it comes to social media. We want to be selective about the brands and the clients that we work with. And we also do more than just manage social for brands, like we said earlier. So mm-hmm. as you grow and mature in de- delivering your service or product, you want to recognize that um, there's going to be a specific type of fit. Totally. for you to work with whether mm-hmm. it's a client or a customer and also and that can be like the type of service or product that they're offering or it can also be just the personality of the people that you're working 100%. with. A hundred percent and I think at the beginning we were cool with being called like a social media agency and it kind of encompassed every platform every type of business that needed social media but now we've discovered that the thing that we're really good at is social media for lifestyle brands Mm -hmm. and that rely on visual content. So visual platforms is what we're really good at. We're likely not the best fit for platforms like Twitter or LinkedIn, where it's a lot of written content because, I mean, visual content can live there as well, but it's just not as impactful. So I think learning that our no to certain clients is just as powerful as our yes to other clients was a big learning for us. And I think we're happy to kind of like, instead of being a social media agency, to be a really specific type of agency for a specific type of client. Yeah, for sure. I think whether you're talking about people or businesses, 
we all over time mature and we get older, we get smarter and we even get burned a few times. And then you start to consider a little bit more carefully who you rub shoulders with Mm -hmm. or who you give access to. Um, And just in the same way that I don't want to be friends with someone who's passive aggressive, you know, in this, at the same time, I don't want to work with a client that um, is passive aggressive at first in the first place, but also um, doesn't have realistic expectations, doesn't have the right budget for their expectations. Right maybe um, is approaching things in an unethical way. You know, there's lots of different factors that go into dictating who we want to work with. And one other thing, and this isn't against brand new startups, but we don't typically like to work with brand new startups either, unless they're funded. And when I say that, it's it's not just about the money, but it's more about being able to take a systematic and a strategic approach to marketing and having realistic goals. So mm-hmm. even more than that, we know that we work best with growth stage brands was what we call them. Mm-hmm. Typically medium to large size, often e-commerce brands who've proven their, their business model and now they're ready to scale. Totally. I think we need to do an episode all about like red flags for clients that we've, we think you should turn down or we've turned down. Right. Cause I feel like there's, we've accumulated a few. Yeah. We've got some interesting stories, but <laughs> we'll save that for that yeah, one. We'll then. save it. Um, okay, number five things. This is the last thing that we are listing as something we're stopping to do in 2022, and that's personal brands. So we are a social media agency, but we don't do personal brands. Um, and I'll explain a little bit about why. So given where things are at with social media, we really feel like social media for personal brands should be really personal. And there are some parts of it that you can outsource to an agency like ours, but you can't, it's not successful to outsource all of it. And we really feel like now people want to see the person behind the name. They want to see them talk to the camera. They want to learn about their vulnerabilities. Like it's so important to be personal. So that's why we're just not going to do it anymore. Not going to do it. And this might be a hot take, but I really think that founders and business leaders shouldn't have ghost writers. And I mean, maybe you have a ghost editor, but right. it's time to to delegate other tasks if you're a founder or a CEO or something like that with experience to offer to people online and just spend the time to share specifically from you to your audience and and give and deliver that value. And that comes back to our point around not gatekeeping. And vague content isn't valuable anymore either. Mm-hmm. I think there was a time where you could be vague and you'd get engagement and people might perceive it as valuable but now we need the meat and potatoes of what you've done and how you did it and where you're going next otherwise it just feels kind of fake or disingenuous totally one example of a personal brand that we've worked with in the past is a celebrity chef who i won't name by name um but we supported her on her personal brand and we made an exception for her because we were also working on her business brand um but it was a great opportunity for us to really test out the outsourcing part of it where she, you know, is still responsible for doing the actual filming of the content, you know, being on camera, like writing out her thoughts, kind of giving us a head start. But we were able to support her by editing her reels or scripting some videos or planning out her content or giving her a bit of a strategy for the types of things she wanted to share. So that's a way to work with a personal brand that we think works for us. But in terms of like owning it start to finish and really just like not being involved at all, we just don't think it's effective. Yeah. And I think maybe one of the other kinds of exceptions that could work well is 
say there's like one source of content that is directly from them that right. then we can distribute or distill into other channels. Mm -hmm. Like if they have a podcast, for example, you can do a lot with a podcast episode. You can take, totally. take it and turn it into a blog post. You can take it and turn it into an email. You can take it and, tur and turn it into social content. So yeah. in that sense, you still have the original voice and, and information from that important person mm -hmm. with a specific point of view but then um, you're just dis distilling it to other channels. Yeah, and in, even in that instance, there's still there needs to be a cycle of content right. continuing to like feed that. So one podcast episode isn't going to be enough to have like a really strong social media presence. There still needs to be like more engagement, more of like the personality like in it. So yeah. There's but too yeah. many social accounts from executives out there with ghostwriters just guessing every <laughs> single day what that person might think or say. And that's a tough job. And yeah. some people do it really well. It's just not what we're doing. Yep. None of that for us. Thank yeah. you. So should we get into the stuff that we are doing? I think we should. Let's this is it. the fun part. Mm -hmm. Okay. The first one is we're ramping up agile video content creation. That's a mouthful, but agile is important and video content creation is a must. So we really think that video needs to be cheaper and faster than ever before. And primarily that's because social has a short shelf life. We mm -hmm. all know that um, maybe a piece of content will last 24 to 48 hours if it like gets decent pickup. But if not, it's gone before you know it okay. and people miss it. Um, and we have also noticed that uh, from the data, even specifically, that lo-fi video mm -hmm. is actually outperforming the high production stuff that brands are still spending $50,000 for a shoot on, you know, so it can be cheaper too. A hundred percent. And we just feel like everyone at Arcade, at our company in 2022 needs to be a content creator. And that includes you know, people who are working in social all the time, but it also includes like account managers or project managers or art directors or even us. Like learning how to be content creators is, I think, a big priority for our business in this year. And I think it's going to give us like a bit of a competitive edge when it comes to other social agencies. And we're not just doing it for that. We also just want to be able to train our whole team to be able to be, feel confident um, to create video and understand the process really intimately. So it's not just a small group of people driving all of our content for all of our clients. Yeah. And that decision for us was isn't even because the creative team can't handle it. No. It's more so because we think it's easy enough and everyone should speak that language. So mm -hmm. no matter what position or role you fill, this is something that you can do personally and professionally. Yeah. Um, a great example of us start kind of diving into this on our own first before doing it for our clients was just our TikTok account for yeah. Arcade. We, uh, we didn't really have like specific expectations about it, but we were viewing it more as a practice field. Mm -hmm. um, but now our whole team is having an absolute blast with it. We're seeing growth there. And then also it's feeding growth on our other social channels like Instagram, for example. And it's even getting us client opportunities, which yeah. is really fun. Client opportunities that we likely couldn't just get on our own, which is really cool. Because most, when you think about it, like a lot of brand managers or PR managers or whatever, reps of these bigger brands that you want to work with, they're likely also just scrolling mm. and likely also engaging with like the type of content we're sharing, which is very niche and very relatable to marketers. Um, so now that like in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, of course that has been great for us, but um, I just, I just think it's something that everyone, if, if this is the industry that you're working in, you should feel like it's a responsibility to get really comfortable creating short form video. Absolutely. What's the second thing? Um, what is the second thing? The second thing is doubling down on email marketing. This one's exciting for me because I've spent a lot of time managing email 
campaigns for our clients. And so it's really fun to see how important it is for our business this year. Um, Email is truly one of the few owned audiences that you can have. And given how unpredictable algorithms are, I think it's more valuable than ever to really own an email list and be engaging with them on a regular basis. Um, And typically when you compare it to social, for example, like you could have a ton of followers, but you really only connect with about five to 10% of them. Um, And it is still a, a, a small percentage of your overall list that you'll connect with two, but it's a much larger percentage. You usually connect with about 20% if you have a healthy email list. So I think there's so much potential there. A lot of people on your email list or everyone on your email list has given you permission to email them. And I think that's super powerful and more brands should focus on that. Absolutely. And when we talk about this, we're not just talking about email newsletters. There's different levels to email marketing as well. So this also includes creating smart flows or automations and these can be really personalized. Often, I think when people hear automation, they think it's impersonal. Totally. But the benefit of, of programs like this on the email side is that it can be really specific to um, a, the place a person or customer is in, in their customer journey, whether they haven't made their first purchase, but they're in consideration, or whether they've purchased 10 times, but they continue to come back. Mm-hmm. And you can have information around the specific types of products that they're shopping for that they need for the lifestyle that they're trying to live. So it can be direct to them, to their name. Um, but more than that, it's meant to understand where they're at in their journey and, and how you can engage with them right at that level. Right. And it can be a great like passive revenue stream. Like, for example, automated flows that come through when you've left something in your cart that's an abandoned cart flow. That's a way for as a business owner to build revenue without having to like do a bunch of reach outs or remind people manually, like you could just set it up and have that run in the background. And it's really impactful. Um, And I'll share one example that we've seen work really well is with one of our clients, Rachel Saunders Ceramics, which she's an amazing ceramicist. Um, Her she's been able to train her audience to know that all of her ceramic drops occur through email first. And so people who are on her email list, they will get a code to her website, which unlocks the website so they can actually shop her products. And they, they've built like a, such a strong relationship and her emails are so impactful and like effective for her business. Because when she sends an email communicating a new drop, like it gets sold out instantly. And I think that's such a good example of how to train that like diehard group of people to, not only subscribe to your list, but understand like that there's so much value in being a subscriber. Yeah, it's partly training and partly even just like building a deeper relationship with them, mm-hmm. you know, like inviting them in closer than uh, just your typical social follower or past customer in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we always like to say um, brands should start first with the, the activities that put money back in the treasury. And flows are one thing that do that. Newsletters can do it too. But flows are just so customized totally. and direct that um, that's a big piece and it doesn't take any more of your time once it's set up. That's right. I love it. Nice. Should we move on to the next one? Let's do it. I really like this one. Uh, I think you're going to have more to say about it than me, but it's leading with our values. And part of that is also challenging our clients to to stand on values or a cause of their own as well. So um, this was the, this year was the first time that we mapped out what our values actually are. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to align ourselves with clients and future team members as well that embody these values. And I think 
we've really discovered that it's more it's really important before you get into a relationship, whether a client relationship or an employee or contractor, that you understand, you know, like not the rule book, but the standards at which you're doing this work together. Um, So this has been really important for us. I think we waited until now partly because we got lucky with our culture Mm -hmm. that it was really healthy just because of the people that we brought onto the team, but also because we've had a little bit of like, I feel like jaded is a strong word, but we've had a little bit of resistance towards the, the concept of values more so because of how we've seen brands abuse them or just ignore them altogether. Absolutely. For a lot of brands we've seen, and I'm sure anyone watching or listening has seen this too, that, Often values are just something that sit collecting dust on your your website mm-hmm. when without really dictating how you act or engage um, with your customer or your audience. But for us, we wanted to make sure that when we did clarify what those things were, that they were true mm-hmm. and that they were a part of our regular activities and, and the way that we work together as a team. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Totally. Yeah. Value should be seen and obvious and not just like posted somewhere that you forget about. So yeah, but you actually led the charge on this work with your business coach. Do you want to talk a little bit about the process for that? Totally. Yeah. So I'll give credit where credit is due. Um, I worked with a business coach, Sarah McCabe. She's been on this podcast before. So go check out an episode with her. Um, But she really helped me kind of like unpack what these values are and they were like more so it started as like personal values but of course like as a leader on our team and an owner of this business it became we kind of like shared some of these values and talked about them and expanded them a little bit to become company-wide so um, I'm so grateful we went through that process because it's given us so much clarity about other things in our business like our employee handbook and how we manage vacation and like just like other tactical, really basic stuff um, when you're, you know, you have to figure out when you're leading a team and growing a business. So it's been really fun to see that. And then I think we'll also kind of take it a step further and go public with these values. So they provide like a baseline for potential clients, like you said, and potential new team members but it's been really awesome i think it's so important for businesses to that to do that especially you know our a big chunk of our clients are e-commerce clients and e-commerce is so tricky right now and so much more difficult and i think now more than ever people are so thirsty to align themselves with people who are like-minded yeah. and that includes brands and so if you can lead with your values in your marketing i think that's such an advantage to you because a lot of businesses and brands right now are trying to scramble and kind of like work backwards and come up with values and have, you know, their marketing reflect those values now when really everything that you do from marketing to operations to whatever, everything should stem from those values. So if you haven't done that work, it's important to do it now so that you can build a foundation for everything else you're doing. Yeah. I think a, a solid example of values and how you how you can infuse them into your brand 
is one of our clients, Mary Young. Mm -hmm. And Mary Young is the name of a brand, but it's also the name of the founder and designer of these products. And it's, it's lingerie. And uh, a couple of her values shine through without her even talking about them. One is sustainability and the way that they produce their product, where they produce it, and even how they, the, the level of inventory that they keep and mm -hmm. things like that. As well as, you know, like making sure that their products fit well for all sorts of different body types and people types, you know. Totally. So um, I think it's always helpful to have examples, but it's also interesting to see the ones where they don't have to like shout it out as a value, yeah. but it's more like subliminally communicated in the way that they talk about their product and their customer and then the way that they relate with their audience. And mm. I think those are the ones that I really admire. I agree. She's also a good example for our previous point about um, like drawing customers into a closer relationship, even with her close friends program. But mm -hmm. I feel like she's a good example. You gotta for check all her out. Points. She's got some good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Should we go on to the number four? Yeah, we're getting close to the end. We are. So number four is creating digestible content in the moment. So one example of how we're doing that is we have a second podcast called Tea for Lunch, which we host on our Instagram account, Hello Arcade. We also post it on all the streaming platforms uh, the next day. But basically, it's a weekly show. It's only 15 minutes long. We talk about a top marketing story of the week and then some fun pop culture stuff as well. So we normally co-host it, but we've been having a lot of fun with having different people from our team also join as co-hosts. And it's kind of an opportunity for us as a team to flex that content muscle again and get really good at like quick, short form content and being not being too precious about it. Like, I think you like to say that tea for lunch is like the fast food version of Waves. Waves is definitely more intentionally produced. We've got like a bit of more of like a production arm to it. And we're really thoughtful and methodical about the guests we have and the mm -hmm. questions that we have while tea for lunch is a bit more improv style. It's like in the moment, what's hot right now? What are we thinking about? What are we talking about? What's everyone else watching or listening to? So it's our version of a shorter, more digestible form of content. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing about that, about the point we're making with mm -hmm. this is something you touched on briefly, which is not being too precious about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's quick. Yeah. It's really easy to digest, but the biggest takeaway for us in this has been, not taking ourselves or the content too seriously, but just being able to have an idea, sit down, execute, talk about it in one take, and then call it a day. Yeah. And uh, there's there's a place for that kind of content, but it's also just great practice for being a good communicator anyway. Totally. And because we want to be more of a content machine and be comfortable in that space, we need to flex that muscle. So it's been a really fun way to flex that muscle. And then also talk about stuff that we're actually like, interested in outside the marketing yeah so to our perfectionists watching or listening maybe this is your sign and to I'm just take them. yourself less seriously <laughs> and put some tough. content out there yeah. the fifth one to wrap this up is a bigger one and we like to to unpack it as prioritizing desire over optimization maybe i'll talk about optimization a little bit and you yes. can talk more about <laughs> desire but a lot of d2c brands um, especially in consumer packaged goods and we work with a lot of those types of brands they're all about optimization. They have been from the start. And I think I don't blame them because it's something that you can control. You mm -hmm. know, it's something that is clearly measurable and um, there's like a cause and effect. Like a, you, you take an action and it has an immediate result. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by optimization is something like, you know, trimming up the checkout process right. or decreasing lo page load times or 
uh, making sure that you have, there's like less clicks before someone can can complete a conversion mm-hmm. or and it might not even just be on your website it could be like from social content or from ad content or impression to landing on the website like what does that process look like and even understanding like where people are clicking more and and moving those calls to action mm-hmm. up higher on the page you know all that kind of stuff it's nerdy stuff but it makes a difference but even though it makes a difference it also has a ceiling you know yeah. so you kind of reach a plateau where you've optimized the shit out of this thing you know (laughs) and there's not much further you can go and that's where brands win with desire totally like if you if you have the optimization like dialed in but you don't have the hype or the desire like you said then it's it's not even like worth it so i think the the point of this one is like our focus is on creating that desire and focusing like less on the optimization side although it's an important part of our business it's still not more important than the desire yeah and i think like you're a great example of this because you are most fulfilled by the purchases that take the longest and cost the most and so when if you're if you're thinking about it from (laughs) as a brand from the optimization standpoint then you're like, how do I make this the cheapest and make this the fastest? But really, and I don't think you're the only one that mm-hmm. that that thinks that way, but a lot of people don't mind paying a lot of money or waiting a long time for something that they really want. And then so often it's more satisfying once you finally do get it. Totally, like you with sneakers. True, I mean, I get my <laughs> sneakers pretty fast, but. Well, like, no, I mean, with sneakers, it's like a culture of like waiting in line. Like, exactly. Yeah. You have to like join a wait right. list. You Sometimes you have to prepay for a shoe that you might not even get. That's true. So it's very clunky. It's not convenient. But I think like the point is like if the hype is there, those things don't even matter. If I have to wait, if I have to join an email list, if I have to, I don't know dm someone to get a certain code to get on a wait list like i'm okay with it if i really really want it yeah for sure and desire isn't just about waiting a long time or paying a lot of money it can also be like that's why brands work with influencers that's why they do brand partnerships that's why they tell more stories around the products Mm -hmm. and add more context to them Mm -hmm. so there's lots of ways that you can influence desire but i think what we're trying to get across is more which way which lens you're thinking about your product or service totally and we have an example for that too from one of our clients called round square they're a home developer and they make they're not the fastest they're not the cheapest but they make beautiful homes and there's such a huge following of people who want to live in their homes specifically their town homes because they're so unique and so recognizable and sometimes people even like sell their single unit or a single what is it single called? family single family home in order to rent a round square townhome but that's an example of a brand that's like build that desirability and they don't have enough industry or in inventory for the desire that exists yeah yeah it's a perfect example and i think with that as as an example we're working with our clients to identify smaller groups of customers that could be fanatical about their product, mm-hmm. bring them into, for lack of better words, an inner circle, and then get them access to that limited supply and reward them for their their loyalty and their patience. Totally. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. <laughs> so those are the five things that we're starting, or I guess you could say doubling down on in yeah. 2022. Mm-hmm. Hope you found them valuable. 
and hopefully inspired you to start something too. Maybe something on this list or even think about the things that you need to stop and start. And we'd love to hear from you. If there's things that you're stopping or starting intentionally, um, we'd slide into our DM, send us a message and maybe we can talk about it or have you on the podcast. Oh, hey. Okay. Great. See you later. See ya.